Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All righty. Well, we left off in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, uh, verse uh, 522. Uh, Now, just quick quick review. It is singular verse, not fruits. Uh, Much the same as I will smack you up alongside the head if I ever hear you say revelations. Nine out of ten people in the United States say revelations, including great religious leaders, which is greatly troubling, that just read it. It's on the page. It is a singular revelation, a huge revelation. So these these are listed as a single fruit. So in other words, this is, if it were multiple fruits, you would want to pick and choose. Do you not do that at the grocery store? If there are nine fruits, I like blueberries and I like apples. The rest... Not care for it too much, right? So you're going to pick two or three and move on. This is one fruit, meaning life in the Spirit, this freedom in the Spirit that we have will produce this nine-faceted fruit in our lives. So in other words, you don't get to pick and choose. Yeah, uh, the love and joy and peace, sure, sign me up for that. Patience and self-control, <clears throat> not doing that, right? So you, you don't get the choice in this. So the Christian life now needs to model all nine of these. Last week we talked about love, we talked about joy, we talked about peace and how crucial they are and what a powerful witness it is for Christ when the, the unbeliever sees love, joy, and peace exuding out of us. The opposite would be the Eeyore effect where lights, you made it. The, 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 the Eeyore effect of you know, just being so monotone and so dull and dry and boring and everything else. So remember, Scripture says, don't lose your zeal. We've got to be zealous for the Word. So that should be an exciting aspect of our lives. The fourth fruit is patience. Question, why is it important to be patient with others? You just ruined it, Carolyn. I wanted everybody to go around and then somebody to have this pearl of wisdom and say, because I would I was prepared to keep saying, oh, that's so close, but not quite, and then someone would just just blurt it out. No, that's awesome. <laughs> no, really. I, I, I thought I thought it would take a while, and I, I will use this as a test again tomorrow morning uh, and ask them the same question. But I, I really, yeah, people would, would think. So, were you all going to say that first too? <laughs> hey, Dave, me on the kitchen, zap it, eat it. Um, yeah, that's that's right where I was, right? No, awesome, Carolyn, because you know, that's that's a real answer. See, and so again, what what we're what we're demonstrating, what we're showing to the unbeliever is simply what we've experienced ourselves, because we realize that if not for Christ, for you know, taking the power of sin and death away from us on the cross, God would have wiped us out a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, God is pretty patient, but we're pretty irritating too. And, you know, that's long enough. You've had enough chances. And so, you know, the, the number of chances you would have had would have been greatly reduced if not for the patience of God. 
Therefore, if that is the way God is, and we are created in his image, ergo, we must act the same with one another. Now, patience doesn't mean that you just withdraw and let the other person do whatever they want. Patience means that, yeah, if, if you're trying to move somebody along, you, you do it in a Christian way, right? But you're still patient because people are very sensitive to when they hear in your voice that impatience, that frustration or whatever, and then they kind of give up. You know, they, well, why even bother? If you're going to get mad at me, why even bother? So, you know, we have to practice this patience. It doesn't come easily. Trust me. It will take you a lifetime. So, would anybody here say that? I, I am fully patient with everyone on earth? Anybody at all? No? Okay. That was another, another good question here, Carolyn, wasn't it? <laughs> right. So, God is patient with us. Therefore, we must be patient with others. Pretty simple story at that point, right? But we need to keep reminding ourselves of it. And more importantly, we need to keep coming to the Holy Spirit and asking, what should I do with this other person? More than likely, you will hear. You need to love that other person. You need to, you need to be joyful with that other person. You need to, be, you know, to make peace in the life of that other person. And for crying out loud, whatever you do, you're going to lose it all if you're not patient. Right? Let's say you've done the first three really well. But then you, you, you demonstrate impatience with a person, a, a new Christian, there's a good chance you will discourage them from the faith altogether. As the representative of Christ in the life of this other person, your impatience might well be a stumbling block to the other person. So we need to hold ourselves accountable for that. Chapter 6, we're going to be talking, it's, the whole chapter is about personal responsibility. What do you got, Gary? Mm. Aren't, aren't exactly the same. And sometimes, uh, Are they ever the same? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sometimes we think things should happen uh, quicker than yeah. we than uh, they, they do, and sometimes that gets us upset. And that's what we need to be patient. And, uh, sometimes we need to to uh, practice patience uh, when we're dealing. It's a great witness for those other people. I mean, it can really help them in the faith to see, see that we can be patient with God. And they might just stop themselves sometime down the road and say, yeah, Gary was patient with God. Now, now I need to be patient with God. Because, yeah, it rarely ever works out when we think. Now's the right time. And, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, abracadabra. And, yeah, it's, you know, God, God always does it at the right time. So yes, we need to get on God's time frame rather than expect God to get on ours. That's that's a good good sign of patience right right off the bat, isn't it, Linda? Sarah. Yes. What happened? Her her patience just kind of disappeared, didn't it? Thanks a lot. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. So patience really important. Next is kindness. Can you see the value of kindness? I mean, Scripture actually teaches us that we are to outdo one another in kindness. That's what it says. We're supposed to actually have a competition with each other to see who can be kinder. <laughs> right? So, Gary, you do something kind to me, i got to not do something equal. I have to outdo that. I have to do something, a greater form of kindness. But then the ball's back in your court. You have to do something greater than I did. And it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And we do that with, with, with everybody, you see? Which is a great 
model for, for Christianity. Again, you know, as people, the, the unbelievers observe this, and trust me, they are watching. No matter where you are, your, your work, your play, no matter where you are, they are watching. If they know that even one of you is a Christian, they, they, are, they will watch from a distance to see the interaction. And if they see you with scowls on your face, and you're going like this a lot, and you're, you're, you're grit your teeth and doing all that, well, that's, they know. See, they have the same spirit. They know, well, that's not Christian. So if that's the way that Christian is acting, I don't want to be one of them. I'm already that way. Why do I have to become a Christian to be you know, mean and nasty? But instead, when they see kindness being outdone, kindness going to a whole other level, kind, kindness that, that is not required but lovingly given, that's what's going to make an impact on an unbeliever. And then they will say, hmm, that's really different. I had never experienced that before, but I like it. Can you show me how to get this? Yeah. So you take them down to Weiss and take them to the produce department and start picking fruit out for them. This is the good stuff. Kindness. We continually find new ways to extend kindness to others. Then comes goodness. You simply share the goodness of God with others. God who has been good to you, just like patience, right? Now you extend that to others. So it requires you then, are you ready for this? It requires you to realize that God has in fact been good to you. Now that's a toughie for some people. Some people think that I've earned this myself. Right? God really hasn't done anything for me. He's not done anything against me. But he's not really done anything for me. I've, I've, I've earned all this myself. Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. I did it my way, right? <laughs> so, you know, that, that attitude is the opposite of this. This is simply a humble response of saying, God, you have been incredibly good to me more than I could ever earn or deserve. Therefore, I will extend that same goodness to others. So kindness, goodness, they're a lot the same in that regard. We're, we're going to just, just, just liberally pass it out with everybody. Now, faithfulness is a little far down on the list. After an entire letter about faith, <laughs> you think that would have been number one, wouldn't you? But made the top nine, it's in there. So it's, it's critical to our understanding. Gentleness. Now, why, why does gentleness make the list? What is the value of a gentle spirit? People are more willing to listen. You know, do you find yourself shutting down when someone's you know in your face screaming at you? Right? I mean, you just yeah, you just you literally shut down. I you know, I cannot process that. But gently, you at least keep the lines of communication open, as opposed to you know putting up a, a barrier. To see the value of this, we'll get into this momentarily. But give you a clue. Drop down to chapter six, verse one. If someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, you supposedly great Christian, should restore him gently. Interesting. So out of the nine, the first one he further reflects on is gentleness. It's way down on the list. But critically important to our interpersonal relationships. 
You've got to do it. Be nice. Yeah, I mean, just, just play nice for a change. I mean, stop stealing each other's toys. And, and you know, but that leads into, you know, go, go, go to the bad list. Remember, jealousy was in the bad list, envy was in the bad list. You know, a lot of those, you know, interpersonal, you know, relationship issues. And that's because you have something I want and I'm going I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to steal yours. If I can't steal yours, I'm going to break yours. So you, so you don't have something I don't see. That's, that's what's out there, folks. I don't know if you're living in America, the same America I am, but that's what's out there. That's what you see in so many TV shows and so many areas of life that, you know, if I, if, if I can't rise to your level, I will bring you down to my level. That's not being gentle. So play nice. Which then results in dun, 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 self-control. That's what? That's why it's last. <laughs> you, you were hoping a more modern translation just, just omitted that one, right? <laughs> but again, you know, think of this in terms of Oh, the, your big term of the day would be you know, kingdom building. In other words, bringing the unbeliever into the kingdom of Christ. Do you see the application of self-control? If unbelievers see us in BUMC as a bunch of hotheads that are just yelling and screaming at each other, that are insisting on our own way, we're selfish and self-centered, and we're all those negative factors, because we've not exercised self-control, that's not going to be a very good witness in this community. People are going to run away from us rather than run, run to us. But instead, if we are a body of believers unified in these nine, and especially in terms of our self-control, that we will not allow ourselves to fly off the handle, to say the inappropriate word, to, yeah, we will, Paul says examine yourself, that we will, we will be responsible for that. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of relationships, a lot of marriages are based on, well, I'm going to say whatever I want and apologize for it later. The words still hurt, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones and no, the words can never hurt me. Yeah, try that sometime. Word, words are incredibly painful. So, and lasting. So, be careful. Self-regulate your, yourself so that you are not using words and phrases that are hurtful and damaging in someone else's life. Remember, you're supposed to be gentle. So that requires you to exercise self-control. So remember, you're free in the spirit to do whatever you choose to do. Whee! But being a self-controlled person means that you will allow the spirit to guide you. You have freedom. So in my freedom, I choose to follow the spirit. You see? Choosing to do that will result in these nine being manifest in your life. So the big question you need to ask yourself is, do I want to look like this to the rest of the world? Do I want others to see me as loving and joyful and peaceful and patient? Do I want people to see me that way or not? I mean, that's, that's really the issue at hand. I can't sell you these. <laughs> I really need to do this. But it's better for you to consider if I do this, look what I get, right? Look at the benefit of this. Because now, chapter 6, verse 1, I will be considered a spiritual person, a person who is spirit-led, as opposed to if, I'm not, if I lack self-control, then I'm Jeff-led, right? Because we have free will. So the question is, who are we going to follow? 
Are you going to follow yourself or are you going to follow the Spirit? You are free to make that choice. But, Weed Hopper, choose wisely. Choose very wisely. So, a couple verses there at the end, but on those nine, further thoughts, comments. Mr. Allen, go ahead. Well, what's really neat about this is the good things are the things that bring you happiness. And non-believers do want to be happy. Yeah. So, walking in, in that light, that's a good example for non-believers to see. And seeing that in us, they will say, yeah. I, I, I never saw, saw you know, the way you are at, in, in an aisle in Walmart. How do I get this? Right? Yeah. And you'll be able to say, well, let's start reading about Jesus and, and you know, buddy up with that person and spend some time with them and, and, and help, help that person in, in the process of becoming a mature Christian. Yeah, it's a great, great gift we, we have to, to pass on. It's hard, kind of hard to do that with a large group of unbelievers and get them all like herding cats at that point, trying to get them all at the same point. But you can work individually with people and just by your own personal witness. Yeah, that, that will be enticing. I mean, just draw, draw people in like crazy. Yeah. Other thoughts on the singular fruit of the Spirit? Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Now, he's talking about here the responsibility we have to live in the Spirit. The Spirit's not going to force you to do anything. You're free to pick whatever you want to do. And in that freedom, we follow the Spirit. But here in verse 24, this is critical. Look carefully at those words. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. You think that says Jesus has crucified your sinful nature. No. You have to choose in your free will to crucify your sinful nature. How do you like that? We crucify our own sinful nature. Right? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified. Jesus doesn't do it for us. We have to choose to do it for ourselves. That's responsibility on us. Yep, yep. And wait till we get to chapter 6. It is personal responsibility, personal responsibility, personal responsibility, just constantly. So he's, he's, he's revving us up for it. But that's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? But you see the power we have in the Spirit. That's what he's saying. So we're, we're not, we're not you know, idle characters in this drama unfolding. We have a great deal of power, and the power is unleashed in our lives when we simply choose to follow the Spirit. Those who belong to Christ, those who have the Spirit in them, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Well, duh. So, that creates a little image. Stepping is not dormant. It's not idle. There's action here. There's movement. Do you remember Pentecost? The wind of the Holy Spirit you know, busted open the windows and blew through the room and their hair's all blowing back and their, their clothing's going like that and everything and then they got a little fire dancing above their head and that's somewhat animated, right? That's what happens. 
So if you want to sit on the sidelines and watch the Christian parade go by, the Spirit will not sit there with you. Much like one of my favorite writings of all time, butt prints in the sand. Not footprints in the sand, butt prints in the sand. I put it in the newsletter a couple of times. It's the, the, the second part of footprints in the sand. Remember foot, footprints? You know, but Jesus, you know, what, why is there only one set of footprints? Did you leave me? No, dummy. I picked you up and carried you. And that's the way it ends. Well, the second part is Jesus is carrying you and carrying you and carrying you and you got pretty comfortable being carried. <laughs> that wouldn't do anything. So, the guy looks down and says, there's some strange imprints on the sand. What are those? Those are your butt prints. I dropped you. <laughs> because I'm moving. And you're slowing me down. Right? So keep in step with the Spirit. So I think it goes back to patience, Carrie. Right? So we don't want to get ahead of God. We don't want to be behind God. The magic comes when we're in step with the Spirit. Left, right, left, right, left. Right? Just walking in perfect tandem. And sometimes the Spirit gets into a little jog. <laughs> Might be a little sprint involved here. Then other times, slows down a little bit. See, it's never the same. But that's what the Spirit does. But if we are spiritual, if we are choosing this freedom of the Spirit to, to choose following the Spirit, then that means we're in step with the Spirit. It is, it is our desire to, to continue in step with the Spirit. Not to force the Spirit ahead, not to slow the Spirit down. But we let the Spirit set the pace. Not us. Huge difference. Keep in step with the Spirit. And then verse 26. Just a little kicker at the end. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. Right. So now that you are free in the Spirit and you have chosen life in the Spirit, you are full of these nine. You have other spiritual giftings. You may speak in tongues, you may heal, you may do all these incredible things. You may preach, you may do whatever. Whatever you do, don't become conceited. A conceited Christian totally wipes out the nine fruit of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever met a conceited Christian? There's not really love there, there's not really joy there, there's not really peace there, there's not really patience, there's not really any of them. Right? It's just a person puffed up with himself thinking, well, look how good I am. Well, go stand over there and do that. The rest of us are going to be in step of the Spirit and we're going over here. So whatever you do, don't be conceited. And don't provoke one another. Don't be causing arguments. Don't be causing drama. And again, envy. Apparently that's the biggie. Out of all that list... <laughs> Envy's the worst. <laughs> Who'd have thunked it, huh? Just amazing. But we have the responsibility to act this way. To live this way and to be this way. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. We must choose to do it for ourselves. But when we are unified in that, see what the Spirit does? It unifies us. When, when as many of us are here, when we choose to be this way, it's going to have an incredible impact on the rest of the church. It's going to have an incredible impact on this community. But when we all choose the same spirit, the same fruit, 
And we contract with each other to do that. To, I will live this way. Wow. It's amazing. That's the witness of the church. It's not each of us doing our own individual thing. It's when others see the church now unified, doing what they know is real Christian ministry. We are together. We're all on the same page in that regard. And there goes chapter 5. A lovely, exciting chapter, I might add. Final thoughts on chapter 5. <coughs> Go ahead, Gary. most interesting thing, I think, is right there at the end, where sometimes we think Jesus has, did, did everything for us. Yeah. I like where it says uh, we have to yeah. choose and Kind of shocking, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think what that's saying is that Jesus has done it. You have to choose it. Right? Yes. So, I mean, he's done 95% of it, but we got our little bit that we must do. So we are not saved. We're not in the process of salvation until we choose to do that. But you know, knowing Jesus has done that for us and basing our lives upon the fact that Jesus has done it for us are two completely different things. And that's what he's talking about here. It's the, the life application of this. How we, how we live on a day-to-day -day basis. That others can see the fruit in our lives. Yep. Anything else in chapter 5? Well, let's try a little chapter 6, shall we? So here in chapter 6, Paul is trying to remedy the problem of strife and discord the Galatians were experiencing. So again, I mean, you can easily see how this could happen in our church. You know, some evangelist comes in and convinces half of the congregation to believe some wackadoodle ideas, you know, we have a circumcision party. Aaron's not here tonight. Uh, <laughs> you know, they want to go have their own circumcision party and sell Tupperware or something, and the rest of us are saying, no, 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 you don't have to do that. And that becomes the, the, the argument. And every, every Sunday school class now has 50-50 mix. The congregation, you know, sanctuary is 50-50 mix. Bible study is now 50-50 mix. And so as you read Scripture, one's going to interpret it one way and the other's going to interpret it another way. And then one side's going to say, wait a minute, no, it says this. And the other side says, no, it's this. And then you're going to start fighting back and forth and pretty soon food's going to be flying and angry words and it's going to be a real mess. That's what was happening in the, in the churches in Galatia. They were a mess. It had become evil. Because even the... the the real Christians, the ones who maintained the faith, were getting drawn into the ugliness of all this. And so it was looking bad. So, to remedy the problem, chapter 6 offers the remedy, which, as church folk, we should probably get our yellow highlighters out and highlight every verse of this one, because when you experience problems in church, this is what you do. In a nutshell, the remedy to strife and discord in a church, Paul says we must handle it in two ways. First of all, there is personal responsibility. Secondly, there is collective accountability. 
Every person should take personal responsibility. And if not, the leaders of the church have the right to demand the personal responsibility and demand a collective accountability. If the church is just, you know, X number of people all doing their own thing, much like in Corinth, that was the problem there. Some people were, mostly women, were getting into speaking in tongues and just going crazy Sunday mornings and just, you know, you know destroying everything in their, in their path. And so Paul now is demanding a collective accountability. If you guys can't figure this out on your own, I will require it of you. All right? Young man married his mother. They thought, everybody in the church thought, oh, well, look how cosmopolitan we are. We are just modern people. This is awesome. And Paul says, no, no, no. If you're not smart enough to figure this out, I will demand a collective accountability of you all, that you all come to this mind. And the first thing you do is pick the young man up and throw him out in the hopes that he will realize the error of his ways and then repent and come back. If not, he's on his own. But you cannot allow that individualism to be flying off the handle that way. All right, so it's a personal responsibility and a collective accountability. That's the remedy to church problems. How fun this is. So I really do believe that if everybody in our church took personal responsibility, we won't need the collective accountability. But for a person who chooses not to join the rest of us in that, that's when you have to institute the, the, the collective accountability. So what I'm saying is that the remedy to the problem is also the way to prevent the problem in the first place. The actual solution is don't allow your church to get to this point that you have to demand the collective accountability. But if so, you've got to have enough faith in Christ and follow the Holy Spirit that will lead you to demand that accountability. And if people get mad, people get mad. But our first calling is to follow wherever the Spirit is leading. The Galatians are already into strife and discord. So Paul now says we've got to institute the collective accountability. The couple of people who still are maintaining the true faith they're going to have to take charge and demand that of everybody else. So let's review. We are declared free from the boundaries and limitations of the law. You've gotten that, haven't you? Or do I have to hit you over the head with that again? Right? Okay, we get that. So in this freedom, we must choose to do the right thing. Righteousness. And what Paul is saying now, the right thing to do is to take personal responsibility. Essentially what Paul is doing in this chapter is giving guidance of what it looks like when we claim to be free Christians. A bunch of individual Christians within a community of fellow believers who are all guided by the Holy Spirit. See the collectiveness? The, the cohesiveness is the Spirit. A bunch of individuals choosing this one thing. The Spirit. And so the church has every right and expectation to demand that of all of our members. Unity. So Paul explains in these verses that we must take personal responsibility to bear one another's burdens and even includes taking care of your teachers and pastor. Ha 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 ha. Bible says so. Nah, 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 nah. Right? So Paul is going to tell us that we better do this. 
Because if we don't do it, we are not keeping in line with God's will. And God is keeping a record of what we do. And God will hold each of us accountable for those bad choices we make. So verse 1. Paul begins by speaking to those in, Gal in the Galatian churches who remain true to the faith. So he shifts his gears now. He'd been yelling for the first five chapters at those Judaizers who now were going to the circumcision parties and you know, doing all the food laws. He's done talking to them. Now he's going to address the few true Christians that, that, that remain and refers to those who have fallen to the ploys of the Judaizers. So he's separating the two now. He calls them brothers. You true Christians, brothers. And reminds them that they are family. So Paul offers a way to continue to love a brother who has made some bad faith decisions. Right? He's talking to the good Christians saying now, this is how you win back the bad Christians. Those who have chosen wrongly. And he says the remedy is to restore them gently. Restoring gently. Or the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So to restore gently probably does not mean getting in somebody's face and say you're going to hell if you don't change your mind right here and now and believe like I do. That usually doesn't work very well. That has never worked in Christian history. Knowing that, don't try that. That's not gentle. So gentle would mean that you would be willing to listen to what the other person says and perhaps take some notes of all the stupid things they say and write them down and then be able to gently com compare and contrast that to what scripture really says I mean scripture is powerful give it a chance but you have to first listen to what the other person has to say we've, we've, we've talked about that in numerous, numerous other places to go charging in with your agenda and expect the other person to just say oh yeah you're right you know, this is probably not going to happen in fact, you're going to make the argument worse because now that person believes that you are here to argue rather than to help. And so you're not right. I don't believe you're right. So I'm going to argue with you. You've just made it worse. So go in gently and listen to what the other person says. And then, then be awesome. Have a little prayer. Just when a person stops talking, you close your eyes and pray. And ask the Spirit, what should I say? <gasps> right? Keeping in step with the Spirit. What should I do here? Scripture says that if you ask the Spirit, the Spirit will give you the words to say. It's awesome. Try it. It works. So I would like you now, might take you a second to put a little thought into this. I'll be patient. <laughs> you can't have both at the same time, Lenny. You get one or the other. <laughs> I want you to come up with a sentence that would be a gentle sentence that would help a fallen brother be restored.
you just start out with, I know, I think I know how you feel. I've been there before. Okay, so make it make a connection by saying I, I too have fallen in the past. Okay, that that might be a, a good way to do it. Make it make a connection there. What else could you say? Good. Okay, that that usually works pretty good, as opposed to you know I'm going to fix you, <laughs> right? How about my friend follow me? Okay, an invitation. I've heard nothing offensive so far. Sometimes, yeah, just a reminder, Jesus loves you. If you have to sing in the children's song, go go ahead. Yeah, yeah, let's see. I'm in your head, Hannah. I know exactly what you were thinking. <laughs> I think even piggybacking on that, it's express that you love the person as well. Yeah. It's with, I mean, speak the truth in love is what See, yes. Yeah. Right? And so the truth in love doesn't mean so bland and, and passive that the other person doesn't get the message, right? So it, it, it gentle doesn't mean ineffective. Gentle means you're, you're simply making sure that you're, you're not making a situation worse so that the person will not hear what you have to say. But absolutely, yes, you, you speak the truth in love. Now, it usually is not carrying a ball bat, but, you know, I... I, I want to help. I want to, yeah, you know, just if we, yeah, pulled all that, all that we've said together and just made that a nice, nice, cohesive statement, several sentences, a paragraph, would be pretty cool. But it's, you know, probably good that you put some thought into that because maybe tomorrow you'll be in that situation. And it doesn't look good for for your position to go hama 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 hama. You know, I don't know what to say. You know, I'll I'll give you a call tomorrow, right? So you know, love love usually doesn't doesn't make make a person wait. So yeah. All right. So we come up with a good sentence. Wouldn't it be great if, if verse one were done? Paul adds something else now in verse one. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. They just had to put that in, didn't they? We were doing so good. All right, next question. For those of us who are such good Christians, why do we need to watch ourselves for fear of being tempted? I mean, what possibly could we be tempted to do that such spiritual folk as us would sin? How can we be tempted in a gentle conversation with somebody? It can happen. So, so it is a, a fair warning. Then we need to do it. So, but what what could tempt us? Now you got to get the get the scene in your mind's eye. Now you're a super Christian. You're meeting with a fallen Christian in the judge or to get in a position where you feel yourself better than the other. Superiority? Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> you know, you, you're not going to be patient, right? You're, you're going to start breaking, you know, all the all the rules of the you know, nine, nine fruits. So, I mean, you could really go crazy with this. I mean, you could you know, demonstrate pride to the other person. Look how, you know, look how good of a Christian I am, right? But so, and that would be sin. 
Do you think that would be an effective witness for Christ in, in helping your fallen brother repent and come back to Christ? If they look at you and see, see you as a judgmental, superior, prideful person. Oh, sure, that, that looks great to me. <laughs> it just it makes them feel terrible, right? There's no way they're going to they're gonna repent. But it would be our fault, you see. Because we're, we're saying, okay, Spirit, I'm, you're ready now to send, send in the first string, right? Super Christian, on the scene, right? And this is the result. What if the fallen person's a real good, smooth talker, and uh, all of a sudden he... Uh... You haven't tried one of these blue pills. Try one. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? She has a sister right down the road. You know, what if you... You never know. And they can talk you into their badness. Uh -huh. you follow them instead of yeah. you help them. That's what them. I that's what they, they could bring you down. Real easy, yep. Well, that's uh -huh. kind of like the whole unequally yoked thing. You know, you're supposed to not date or marry somebody that's not a mm -hmm. Christian because you think, oh, I'm going to I'm going to make them they a Christian, bring them up. Yeah. but they might bring you down. Yeah. And you guys are the model for that because you've even you're you're you're, you're even equally yoked in height. <laughs> <laughs> Accomplished it all, man. It's just <laughs> so we 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 have friends that he he was maybe an inch or two shorter than you, Brian, and she was maybe maybe four <laughs> eleven, and just I mean, but, but you know the the most innocent couple you'd ever want to meet. But I mean, just hilarious to see them together. It's like oh my gosh, just 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 comical, but. So, yeah, I mean, we have to, and again, examine yourself. And that's why you want to pray before you open up your big fat yap. So you don't say something judgmental that would come across superior, that would come across prideful, that would come across sinful, because the other person will immediately shut down and look at you and say, seriously? I'm not really going to have this conversation with you anymore because you're a jerk. So we have to watch ourselves very, very carefully. I mean, pride is the major issue here because if you choose the law by definition, you would become prideful. So what you would have is, in this setting, the true Christian would be speaking to one of these semi-Jews. The semi-Jew, by definition, is prideful because they're maintaining the law. Look how good I am. Remember the Pharisees? That was their problem. Right? So they're already prideful. If you come across prideful as this good Christian, well, you're wrong, I'm right, you're all superior and all that, there's no way that's going to win. So what Paul is doing here is, is trying to help them to work this out. He's not the point of saying, all right, you few good Christians, you throw the others out and start over again. He's trying to win them back for Christ. Now verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. And then this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now hasn't he just said a thousand times there is no more law? What in the world is he talking about here? What is this law of carrying each other's burdens? You know, how, how does carrying one, another, one another's burdens fulfill the law of Christ? It comes back to love, you see. It always comes back to love. So out of your love for each other, you are going to be willing to carry that burden. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, by specifying the law of Christ, Paul is actually saying this is the law of Christ, not the law of Moses. So you're not going to get caught up in all those laws again, right? The law of Christ is a law of freedom. The law of Jesus is simply submitting to the Holy Spirit. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It's a personal responsibility. That's on you. And then verse 4, Paul says that the solution to a good Christian from, from falling into temptation and sin is that each of us should test our own actions. Now, what is the value of each man should test his own actions? I mean, what, what does Paul mean by that? Test your own actions. Are you doing it so somebody sees, oh, look, it's a good Christian man. Okay. So it would keep you from pride. Are you doing it to allow the Lord? Yeah. To show your love to the Lord. So you want to make sure your initial motivation is in check. You're not supposed to let your right hand know what your left hand is Precisely. Good point. You're sitting right next to Carolyn. She's, she's feeding you all those answers. Yeah, she? <laughs> <laughs> Back rows on a roll tonight. <laughs> no, that, that, that's exactly it. That, you know, we have to, if we go to somebody else as the test, then that's prideful. You're actually saying, tell me how good I am. And that's not in the mix. You have to be able to test yourself. And by testing yourself, it's, it's test your, your, your words and your actions to see if, are you ready for this, there is fruit, if there is something productive and effective coming as a result of that. If not, you should change your strategy. I mean, that's, believe it or not, that's a fairly common conversation I, I, I have with folks. People get all revved up about something, but you, you don't see any fruit. All you see is self-aggrandizement. Um, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me. And but it's not. Yeah, you know, there are no no new Christians as a result of this. There's no you know, even the Christians we have. You know, there's no encouragement to them. They're actually, you know, as soon as you enter the room, they're kind of well, stand over there. You know, we don't want to associate with you. Yeah, you know, that's that's not it's not productive. It's not helpful. You need to test that. You need to see how that's working in the in in, in the people and the events around you. By the same token, you can't compare yourself to somebody else, and you know you're not testing the other person. You're not saying, "Well, I'm a little bit better than the other person, so I'm okay." Right? Doesn't work that way either. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. They were prideful in that they compared themselves to the average person and said, "Well, I maintain the law better than them. I'm a, I'm a better person than them. God loves me more." But that's ridiculous. Because they were paid to do that. <laughs> Everybody else is like working all day long and doing other things that you know, didn't have time to do that. Follow all those, the, those silly little laws. Jesus actually uses the example with the Pharisees and says that God will hold us accountable if we allow ourselves to simply be led by the Spirit. If we choose to follow the law and compare ourselves to others, then God's going to hold us accountable for that. Paul you know, reiterates that, that thought here. And then verse 5, it gets fun. For each one should carry his own load. No, wait. 
Is Paul contradicting himself? He just said in verse 2, we're supposed to help each other with our, with our burdens. Now he says, no, no. Figure it out yourself. Well, which one is it, Paul? Well, he's not really contradicting himself. In fact, helping someone with their own burdens and carrying your own load is considered two aspects of the same side of the coin. I mean, our coins have a whole bunch of writing and pictures and whatnot on each side, right? There's a lot of things happening on one side of the coin. That's what he's saying here. Help each other out when you have the opportunity, but don't become weak and dependent on everybody else to do it for you. Now, do one another in kindness, but don't do it in a, in a sense of, you know, I can't do it. Gary, will you do it for me, please? I just want to lay here and, and, and just, just be lazy and, and have no personal responsibility. So, you know, again, personal responsibility. So I will take responsibility to, to do what I can in terms of, of, of faith development. But if I need help, Gary will, will, will help carry, carry the load for me. Hopefully for a short time. Otherwise, you're going to drop me on my butt. <laughs> butt prints in the sand right so but really and you see this so prevalent today Christians Christians are saying well how can I help someone else when I have such a big burden myself right don't many people you talk to just express I'm stressed out I'm overwhelmed I'm this I'm that and the other thing what do you got Bill to me, it's also saying you don't have to wait to see somebody else do it. You can do it without having somebody do it first. That, that, that's the encouragement, yes. But you see, what, what Paul is, is trying to lead us to now is don't we talk about the great power of the Spirit? And aren't we talking we are now in the Spirit? We have chosen to be in the Spirit? Therefore, we have this great power. Therefore, we are not weak. I'll change it. Thus, <laughs> we have great power so that we can carry our own load. At least most of the time. There's nothing more unappealing than a whiny Christian. Yeah, just, just, yeah. Just, just. I have to get up and go to church, you know. And uh, I taught Sunday school once last year, and it was oh, it was so much, you know. And just, oof, just come on. But you see, that, that's the beauty when Jan, Jan was doing the jam program. I mean, that's the beauty of it. Just a couple weeks, so that you're not, you don't become some whiny, sniveling Christian, right? Just. Take, take three weeks. Take some time off, right? But you know, whatever you do, don't be whining about it. And, but hopefully that would entice people. But it was amazing you know, how many people, when asked, that, you know, no, I can't do it. Just, and my kids are doing this, and my husband does that, and just and going on. Okay, fine. You know. I don't want to miss 11 o'clock worship. Yeah, I, I don't want to miss the 11 o'clock worship. I love the 11 o'clock worship. Well, for three weeks, go to 9.30. You know, buck up. Come on. Yeah, I mean, seriously. But you, know, you understand what I'm saying? That's what he's saying. So in terms of testing, we're going back to testing yourself now, right? 
Test yourself and gauge yourself on the, the whiny factor. On a scale of one to ten, how, how stinking whiny are you? If you can't figure it out, call me. I'll let you know, right? Now, that doesn't mean that everything the preacher asked you to do or, or you know, Aaron asked you to do for the jam program, you just, oh, okay, and you know, your kids are left home and never get a hot meal or, you know, so we're not saying that. It, it, you know, it's, it's an average. Right? So it's not an extreme that you're, you're giving up all your life and your family and everything else and they, they grow up hating you. And it's not, well, I'm not doing anything because I just, I got to make sure I have time to do whatever I want to do. But it's something in the middle. I will do this and help. If we had just, yeah, 10% of the people here in this church of that mindset, it'd be amazing. <laughs> right? But it just, you know, more and more, I mean, just the schedules and all of this are just, just crowding us out and crowding us out. And the, the, the church now is becoming one of the last things that, that, that people choose to do. That they actually, you know, Friday, Saturday, have the family discussion. Are we going to church this Sunday? I mean, it's, it's a discussion. And kids get to vote. Really? Yeah, so, so I want to go do this on Sunday morning. Well, okay, we'll go do that, Billy. And there they go, right? So... Yeah, this is what our culture is, is, is doing to us. We're slowly and slowly becoming more and more like them. I mean, it's been two or three years now. The uh, uh, Gallup did a big poll. Oh, Barna. Barna did a big, big poll. And asked, asked people, you know, are you a regular churchgoer? Yeah. Thousands of people said yes. Then they asked them, well, how many times a month do you go? Two. That's regular church attendance now. The definition of regular church attendance is 50%. Because they don't want to the other times. It's too hard. I have to put pants on and uh, tie my shoes. Oh. <laughs> I probably won't do this in a sermon sometime because people will say I resemble that remark. So Remember, I'm not supposed to pr provoke people. So, but I, I can do it with you guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at you, Hannah. <laughs> So, test yourself. There was kind of your one. <laughs> <laughs> no, when you were doing that yeah, to Gary, it doesn't sound like me. What was that, Jimmer? What, what did Brian react? Yeah, what was Brian's reaction? <laughs> he's, he's looking at us. Hannah's right here next to me. Why is she over there? <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't been here in a month. <laughs> <laughs> So all I know is my mother, Jan will verify this, my mother always says, for as long as I've known her, if you want something done, ask a busy person. You guys have figured that out too, huh? I mean, you know, a person on the sidelines, yeah, we're running in the race of faith, you know, running out there and we see somebody that, that we know and love on the sidelines sitting there eating a hot dog and, and a slushie and we, you know, you, know you, you take time and you go over to him, come on, join me in the race. Yeah, I got this hot dog and my slushie's melting. I gotta finish this. Yeah, and she, oh. <laughs> what was that, Jen? This is what he's like. That was a false statement. <laughs> but, so, yeah. You work with who you can, you try and invite other people, but 
absolutely get, get ready for, for the wine factor. And, but then you know, a gentle prodding, a gentle bringing them in would be very beneficial. Give it a try, it might work. You know, don't give up on them right away, but it, 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 it can frustrate you pretty, pretty, pretty fast. Okay, really fast. It, you know, so you've know, got to test yourself and make sure you're not modeling that. And maybe just maybe by your being in the race and your excitement, your joy and your peace and all those things, it just might be an influence in the life of the person next to you that wants to go jump on the sidelines. No, no, come on, stay in the race with me. We're having way too much fun here. Well, it's on that whiny note that we will finish the night. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.